Happy Friday, everyone. Today is September 29th, and this is episode 31 of Get Your Tech On, our shows on all things Doxis. I'm Brady Volp, founder of the Volp Firm and Nimble This. With us is John Downey, the flavor of cable. John is also the CMTS technical leader at Cisco Systems. Welcome, John. Thanks, Brady. Great to be back as usual. I'm surprised. What would you say, 31 or 32? We're on episode 31. Wow. Also with us is Asaf Matatayu, Vice President Solutions and Product Management, Cable Edge Business at Harmonic. Asaf, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Thanks for having me. Happy to have 31 as my first. <laughs> Asaf, you're also an extreme runner, and it's been rumored that you personally hand deliver some of your equipment to your customers through that. So uh, that's one of your talents we understand. Yeah, you, you hear right. Just ran an ultra in uh, West Virginia on the Appalachian Trails. Fantastic area to be in. So, uh, Saf, where are you broadcasting out of today? From uh, San Carlos, California, just near our home offices in San Jose. Okay. And, John, you are not broadcasting from your normal location. Uh, we don't see any trophies or equipment behind you. So what's, uh, what's the change? So uh, I recently did a bodybuilding show at Penn State last Saturday. And uh, so I'm up at Penn State, my old stomping grounds, um, visiting some family. Um, and uh, we were doing some staging for Expo out in Boxborough, Massachusetts this week. And I flew back into State College last night. So I'm actually doing this from my in-law's house. Yeah, uh, looks nice like and, nice and comfort of a lazy boy, it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try not to rock back and forth too much. All right. All right. Well, guys, thanks for joining us today. Um, today's episode will cover the topic of virtual CCAP. Um, we know that um, you know, both of you co your companies are, and I think a lot of other folks are, are working on this topic. Um, we do want to cover the topic of virtual CCAP from how it benefits cable operators. And so that's, that's kind of the gist of it. But before we get into that, I want to cover some, some topics in the news uh, Cable Labs has released an interesting video uh, recently they put, they put out. It's called The Near Future. And I was looking through this video. I liked it because it focuses on technology that touches all of our lives. And, and it, this is, I think, important because it, it really focuses on everything that we do from a technology standpoint. And, and you know, we're in tech. We deliver this technology to um, our, our subscribers and, and they benefit from it. So I, I put out a bit.ly link uh, that will allow everyone to take a look at this video. It's kind of interesting. The bit.ly link is bit.ly slash the near future. All one word, all lowercase. So recommend everyone take a look at that or go to the Cable Labs website and you'll find that um, on there also called the near future on the website, a short little video worth taking a look at. Um, the FCC has made some updates on September 25th, just a couple of days ago, they released a report and order updating signal quality, AKA proof of performance on signal leakage for digital cable systems. So this is impacting QAM versus analog cable. Uh, in the order, the FCC modernizes their signal quality rules 
And they're really focusing on um, a standard from the SCTE that we're all familiar with, the SCTE 40 2006. So SCTE 40 is uh, the signal quality benchmarks for digital quality standards. So this is an update and it is going to impact cable operators from transmitting qualm signals over their plant from the standpoint of, yes, we are now going to start to have to, to worry about those and, and measure those. So that is an update. And so I'm kind of recommending that everyone go take a look at that, especially if you're an operator, as this will start to impact people moving forward. Don't you think, don't you think I have to interject, you know, don't you think the open market kind of dictates the quality anyway? I mean, it's not like we're a monopoly anymore. There's enough competition to say if your quality sucks, you know, uh, to put it bluntly, that they'll go somewhere else. And then on social media, people start blasting the crap out of, you know, bad quality. So, I mean, do we really have to be, I know we have to have standards and all that, and we will, uh, but for the longest time now, there was no real proof of performance for digital, right? It was all for analog. Um, but the real proof of performance is proof, in the, proof is in the pudding, <laughs> meaning, if it's bad quality, your customers are going to go somewhere else. Yeah, I, I think to your point, if you have a, you know, if there's a lot of leaks in a plant, there's a lot of impairments in the plant, and those are ultimately going to show up in poor performance. But, but, and but, signals but and that one, that is different. To me, that leakage has nothing to do with our end customer's quality because um, they see what they see. Now, leakage has always been uh, proof of performance spec. It's RF, right? It doesn't matter if it's analog or digital. So CLI and that testing has always been there so we don't interfere with uh, FAA, uh, you know, with airplanes and stuff like that. Uh, but now you're talking about end-of-line performance, I believe, of yeah, the digital SCT signal. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Yeah, and, that, and that's different. Ron Raddick's been very involved in that. You know, Ron yep. is always involved in, in RF and ham radio and leakage and, and FCC proof. So he's been uh, a very key influential guy in that in that aspect. But I still think it's ironic, I guess, that I think the market kind of dictates a lot of this anyway. Yeah, I, I do too. And I, I agree with you. Um, however, I think the, the, either way, the FCC is still getting involved. So huh. <laughs> we'll see. I, I do agree. Um, and John, you did mention uh, Cable Tech Expo. Uh, you're you know, staging for that. That is coming upon us. That will be in Denver, Colorado. So if anyone's not aware that's coming up that'll be the week of uh, from october 17th through october 20th um so uh, i think all three of us will be at that show um i i am not presenting john i think you are presenting is that yes no <laughs> you know i am because you were supposed <laughs> to be my co-presenter <laughs> don't let brady fool everybody now uh <laughs> <laughs> he and I talked about co-presenting on Doxus 3.1 Lessons Learned because uh, he's got a lot of, you know, information and, and so do we. Um, but then just things come up and we got a lot of stuff on our plate. And even when I, my first goal was to do 3.1 totally downstream and upstream. And once I started writing the paper, it became a lot longer than I thought. And usually when you do a presentation, you're doing it with another presenter from a different company or MSO. And they only give you 20 minutes or so, which, you know, me, I go on a, on a segue. Uh, your your opening agenda slide is normally 20 minutes, John. <laughs> this one presentation I did is that I have one slide, but it's 3,300 uh, uh, builds in size four font. Yeah. <laughs> but, 
So I'm doing it on Docs 3.1 downstream lessons learned. Um, Tuesday at 3.15. So the actual show floor doesn't open until Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So there are workshops starting Tuesday. Uh, so yeah. I will be there Tuesday. Hopefully, you know, you'll be around as well. Uh, I wanted to use you as a plant in the audience. <laughs> um, but uh, the other co-speaker in my workshop is Doug Jones from Cable Labs. So he's going to talk about, and I'm sure you're familiar with this too, is in an RFOG network, which you don't see a lot of RFOG networks, if you do DOCSIS 3.1 upstream, OFDMA, all those little subcarriers, you know, looking at the spec, it's almost like saying taking multiple upstream channels from 2030, and if you have your neighbor transmitting at the same time as you on a different upstream, a different scheduler, your two lasers come on at the same time, and that causes OBI, optical bead interference. So with DOCSIS 3.1, that's really going to be a problem unless you can figure out how to make sure any laser only comes on at one time or some type of OBI um, mitigation techniques. It could be like the wavelengths on the upstream are slightly dithered or, uh, uh, you know, figuring out which uh, wavelengths are coming together at the same time. I mean, most of the RFOG stuff, the wavelengths are right around 1610 nanometer on the upstream, 1550 nanometer on the downstream. But that 1610 upstream could be 1613, 1609, so slightly difference in the upstream wavelength. And that's assuming it's an amplitude modulated upstream laser. So, I mean, so Doug's going to talk about that, you know, the, the fact that DOCSIS 3.1 upstream is going to be a hit on RFOG networks, unless you, you know, just so you're aware of it. So he'll talk about that, and I'll talk about 3.1 downstream, uh, lessons learned, and the fact that it's a lot more robust than we originally thought, and we could run probably, in some cases, 4K QAM. In other cases, 1K QAM is going to be a no-brainer, but we could do 4K QAM and then rely on resiliency to check the modems, see how they're operating, and dynamically move them to a different modulation if they need to. All right. Sounds interesting. So, folks, check out John's presentation on Tuesday. Asaf, you, any, you're going to be at the show? Yes? Absolutely, yeah. going to be there uh, Monday through Friday, and uh, i got a couple of speaking engagements. Um, there's a session on Thursday for real-world deployment of a virtual cable hub, and on Tuesday I'm a part of a, a panel of folks doing a remote FI session um, on, I believe, Tuesday morning. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So are those, um, are the, are those sessions that, that, uh, are advertised on? At, at yeah, there's the remote by session that is advertised on the SCT, SCT website. And, um, the speaking engagement is, is the one on Thursday, which is there's a moderator and, and, uh, two other presenters as well. And, um, I think there'll be a, each one of us will present and we'll get a Q&A session, have uh, some moderated questions. Uh, looking forward to it. But uh, is, the, is, it, is, it, is the Tuesday session um, part of SCTE's extra charge? Or is it a workshop? I, I think so. It's called a session right now. It's, uh, I think it's a sponsored session. I think uh, I saw the names. I think John's going to be there. John Chapman's going to be there in the session. Um, Tom Clunan's going to be there. Uh, folks from other companies um, who are part of the event will be there as well. I think there's uh, six or eight different um, uh, companies, uh, including operators in there. And uh, I think we'll have a good session uh, talking about remote fine and what it means to the industry. Excellent. We will definitely look forward to it.
Um, so, hey, guys, let's get into our topic today, which is virtual CCAP. Um, as, a, as a shameless plug, I did an article. Uh, it was kind of inspired us off by when, when we talked at uh, the Angacom show, but I did an article in Broadband Library Magazine uh, for this, uh, the, the, the one that just came out in, for the fall issue. So you can, you can see that article on virtual CCAP, uh, either in the printed version, or you can see it online at broadbandlibrary.com. It's also on the volpfirm.com on the blog there. And the article that I did is a very high level, kind of an introduction to what the concept of virtual CCAP is. And what I wanna do here is, you know, kind of socialize more of virtual CCAP, what it is and how it benefits cable operators. So. You know, my intro to virtual CCAP was kind of more like, you know, what is virtualization and, and stuff like that. And, and I think we can kind of just start out here as well. You know, what is virtualization? Why would we even consider doing it? You know, we've had hardware-based CMTSs for years, and they've been working fine for cable operators. So um, why, why, are, why are we doing virtual CCAP? And what is virtual CCAP? Um, either you want to start off with that concept. Uh, sure, I could, I could start. Um, first of all, virtual CCAP, uh, I think, can be defined, uh, has been defined by different people. Virtualization is such a broad topic and has been around for, for quite a while, actually. Uh, in your article, you mentioned virtual machines and um, how Wikipedia defines virtualization. Um, and it's been around since the 60s, the concept of virtualization, obviously not for CCAP or for CMTSs. Um, but, but the idea, of course, being that you're taking something that was once done in, in hardware or custom, uh, custom design and, and putting that on more general purpose or off-the-shelf type of hardware. It's not custom-made. Um, I think having things that are running in software is another premise of virtualization. Um, so there's a lot of things about virtualization, like virtual machines, uh, containerization, uh, bare metal versus... VMs, those are all kind of different opinions and different points of, uh, that provide different value to the end user. And um, I think the, the bottom line, no matter what you do with virtualization to start the topic is there's a great benefit to the customer because uh, it, it gives flexibility, agility for having software-based implementations, better feature capabilities, faster. Um, also, uh, it gives you a sustainable growth approach. I mean, e even with the hardware-based chassis, um, as great as we've done in the last 20 years in Doxus, after all, it's the 20th, an 20th anniversary, right, of Doxus since uh, 1997. Um, we made dramatic improvements, uh, but I think this is kind of where we want to have a sustainable approach to the growth that's happening in, in broadband. Um, and I think virtualization is the way to get there. Um, and we could go into each one of those things in, in more detail, but um, maybe uh, I heard you guys talking about it a little bit uh, at the post-Anga show uh, session. And I heard, uh, you know, John was very, uh, well, I'll let John speak for himself, but you guys had a great discussion about that as well. So maybe so I'll let him talk about yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, I would say it was a good segue from what we, you know, the speech you're going to give on Tuesday at Expo. Uh, and this kind of ties into that is what is really needed? It's kind of like, let's address the elephant in the room. What is really needed to even start talking about going virtual on the CMTS, yeah. getting rid of that hardware? Well, the physical layer still has to be there. Yeah. Well, Where's this, this physical layer going to be located? Well, this means that remote five 
is an adjunct or a precursor to even thinking about going virtual. So we got to get to Remote 5 first. Um, whether that's Remote Mac 5 or Remote 5, that physical stuff still has to be out there. So where does virtual come into play? Uh, Greenfield, obviously, but Brownfield, where you already have CM or, uh, nodes, fiber optic nodes, amplifiers, stuff like that. Can I upgrade the node to an RPD, a virtual remote five device? Um, maybe. Uh, is the play here and demographic maybe hospitality? I always said hospitality would not be a bad idea. If I was an integrator, maybe I could have a server farm running, if you want, quote unquote, CMTS code, um, running digital links out to all these hotels, and I just give them a remote FI node. Now I can offer them high speed access, uh, all the speed they need. I can uh, take care of everything, the back office myself. I could be like, I'm even thinking about back in the day's video with LodgeNet, like an integrator could go in and provide that service. Maybe like the old days where uh, high-speed access used to offer internet access before the MSOs understood what internet really meant. Um, Roadrunner. Roadrunner was the, the sister company of Time Warner before Time Warner really knew how to do DHCP and everything else with IP. Um, and, and maybe that's what happens for the next four or five years is you end up with a business case where an integrator comes in, provides virtual, uh, from a server farm where you put all your kind of like eggs in one basket, sort of, uh, but you have backup generators, backup servers, you can Separating switch. Separating the, yeah. uh, the CMTS from the remote FI. And then Asaf, what you had talked about earlier was putting the CMTS in kind of like a, a virtual world or, or a vir you know, that's virtualizing the CMTS or putting it into a container. So yeah, I, I still, I still don't think we've we've really necessarily communicated enough what that process of. I mean, I think we understand separating the CMTS from the remote five because we've talked about remote five before. And sorry, John, I interrupted you, but you froze up a little bit there. Um, we haven't communicated enough exactly what that process is of virtualizing the CMTS and, and exactly what that means. So, yeah, I think, I think, first of all, John made some great points. Uh, I think the enablers today um, to allow for virtualization to happen is, number one, uh, RemoteFi. He mentioned it. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Separating the software from the hardware. After all, there's always going to be that piece of hardware. The second thing is, is having it basically merchant silicon that allows you to have uh, something that lives in that physical layer, that hardware component for a long lifespan, right? Uh, if... if the thing that goes out um, on the remote fi uh, node has a short uh, lifespan is going to have to be replaced uh, more frequently than we would like. But there is merchant silicon that has a long lifespan now. And, and the last one, which is very important, is you got to have off-the-shelf uh, software processing capabilities that meets or exceeds the requirements for operations. And 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 uh, it does. I think Intel has done a fantastic job uh, year over year having powerful CPUs and, and they're, they're doing, um, they're doing fantastic work, uh, increasing that performance. And, and we've, we obviously in real, in real deployments, we see, uh, that come to play. Uh, so those are the enablers for virtualization. And then in terms of, uh, virtualization, another point John made that was really good is, uh, the use cases, you know, with a virtualized approach, your, uh, your first in cost could be very small. So having a small scale deployment is, 
is very easy when you have maybe a, a remote find node or a few of them um, and only a server or two, if you're talking about redundancy, uh, connected to those. So, you know, you're, you're first in install in terms of space and power um, for hospitality, but for any other uh, deployments that have a small service group sizes, your, your, uh, your first in costs are, are very, very manageable as well. Um, and then, and Brady, you were mentioning um, what does that mean? What are you virtualizing? So when we look at virtualization, and I've written this the past couple of years on other SCT papers, we're talking about virtualizing not only the data plane, uh, the, the management and control planes, but also the data plane. So taking all uh, the packet processing, all the scheduling, everything in a software solution. So it's, it's portable. Um, first of all, you're not dependent on any um, unique hardware. Two, uh, it works on off-the-shelf Intel servers, uh, so you could leverage the um, annual growth benefits and performance. And third, uh, that you could actually locate that, that software that's running on those servers in different locations. So it gives you that flexibility of, of co-locating the servers with a remote five device or, or putting it in a hub or, or taking it even more centrally in your network when you're aggregating a lot more of those remote file links. Um, so those are all great opportunities that, um, that virtualization uh, provides. Um, you know, there are other, there are other really uh, key uh, benefits uh, virtualization, I also think, is, is agile development. There are a lot of features that are coming out, a lot of services that are going to come out, things that we can't predict. Um, there's competition in the industry. And with uh, agile de software development approach, we're able, as an industry, to react to those needs much faster and deploy them. And uh, and in your article, you mentioned this as well. You mentioned snapshots and virtual machines in your article. Um, well, you don't necessarily need to use virtual machines, but you can use a, a high availability and and hitless software upgrade method where you can actually um, deploy software on a single service group and not impact all the other service groups running on a on a single uh, on a single server. So you get this great ability to isolate what you're doing and to do it in a very agile way. Um, and I think that's very important to the industry is how quickly we can compete uh, with speeds and services. Okay. And, and you mentioned virtualizing the, the, the data plane, the scheduler and stuff like that. I mean, you're basically saying virtualizing the guts of a CMTS, maybe with the exception of the, the F connectors and stuff, because that's still going to be, that's like the remote five device, right? That's exactly right. We're, we're talking about, uh, there's something doing a modulation and demodulation, the physical layer, uh, obviously the F connector, um, but then everything above that running in software, um, everything. That, that includes um, all the things you mentioned, multi functionality, the BPI functionality, um, the, the scheduling functionality, obviously all the data plane OSSI functionality, um, all those things are running in software um, from from soup to nuts, you know, so. Uh, right. And you've mentioned Intel a few times, but that's, you know, from the Intel standpoint, that's just talking about regular servers that you're putting this into. Yeah. I, I remember when we first had this idea a few years ago, um, if you guys are familiar with Fry's uh, Electronics. Yeah. yeah, I love Fry's. Um, <laughs> we, we, we sent a couple of guys down to the local Fry's and said, hey, go pick something out over there, bring that back over here and, and uh, you know, try this out and, and, um, 
And lo and behold, I mean, the reason we went to Fry's as a joke, I mean, is because we really wanted this to be off the shelf, something that anybody can go, um, go purchase. Um, and there isn't any unique, uh, special something running in hardware over there. Um, and the reality is, is that's possible and it's possible to do it in a very high performing way. Um, and of course there are requirements. If you use a stronger CPU, you're going to get uh, higher bandwidth. You're going to get higher packet rates. You're going to use a, um, a less powerful CPU. So there's a definitely a, a performance power cost curve there. Um, uh, depending on, on what you're trying to do and which side. Um, so, yeah. And for our listeners, if you've not been to a Fry's before, it is like a warehouse, a mega warehouse electronics store. So if you're a geek like us, it's kind of like going into, uh, just this, the most awesome electronics store you've ever been into. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Geek, it's geeks Disneyland. Yeah, <laughs> it's the best. That's the, John, that's the perfect way to say it. It is the geeks of Disneyland. <laughs> yeah. so, so let me add a few, few thoughts. Um, uh, I've talked with some of our guys, and we're kind of using, we started out very simplistic and said, let's do virtual CMTS. And that was basically taking the CMTS scheduling and put it on a server. Uh, and now we've, we've evolved to call that cloud CMTS. Uh, it's not just semantics. It's not just a, it's a big change in how things will go forward uh, for this cloud CMTS. I don't have all the details. Uh, we'll never claim I do. Um, it reminds me of when we used to see PowerPoint presentations and the IP guys would show the HFC in a cloud, an <laughs> HFC cloud. I'm like, there's a lot more that goes in there than just some basic vapor. Now it's the CMTS uh, cloud. I know. <laughs> Where's the silver lining on that cloud? Uh, but some of the guys are explaining to me uh, something called Kubernetes, uh, open source, uh, containers. And I think, uh, Asaf, you mentioned, you know, the granularity of service groups and upgrading service groups and, and even features like load balancing and scheduling and resiliency. And a lot of features we, we help uh, keep our, CM our cable modems up and running and running properly. Uh, we might have updates for that that normally would require a maintenance window to upload to a CMTS and, and take the CMTS down during the middle of the night from one to 6 a.m. Uh, and that CMTS can only handle so many service groups because of the form factor and how much powering. Now we're like, well, we could replace that CMTS with the servers. Uh, the servers are much smaller. And I asked, I'm like, you know, could I make a blanket statement and say, will this server, server one are you, replace two CMTSs. Well, not today. We're not really talking about processing power and trying to do DOCSIS 3.1 and all these scheduling. But I don't know if it follows Moore's law or not, but the servers are getting smarter. They're getting faster. They're getting more cores. So eventually, one server might just do more processes or might be able to take the place of an entire CMTS. You know, our CMTS is 13 RU. If I can replace that with one RU, great. Now, if it's two RU because I'm doing redundant servers, that's fine also. Um, but I'm looking at powering, rack space. And then I say, well, what about all the splitting combining I had to do with RF? Well, all the RF is out in the field now at remote five, but we still have optical splitting combined. So we're replacing coax cable with fiber. We're replacing splitters and combiners with switches, but we're doing everything in the digital world. So it's a lot easier. It's faster updates there to from 10 gig to 100 gig. Um, so yeah, it, it, 
things keep moving along. We still have physical layer stuff, you know, uh, but they'll, Doxus just seems to keep evolving like every three, four years. Just when you think it's going to be the end, <laughs> we keep, keep evolving. Now we're taking three, one and going to different architectures and stuff like that uh, with remote five and virtual. I don't know if this eventually we start calling something Doxus 4.0. I don't know if there's talk about, you know, going from 3.1 to a new name. Um, but normally when we go to a different Doxus name, it's new, maybe FDX, right? If we go FDX full duplex, then we're talking about what a new modem as well with echo cancellation. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you guys are, the exciting things that you guys are talking about from at least my perspective is, is like the redundancy standpoint, because, you know, being able to add just an additional server to add redundancy, um, the maintenance window aspects of this is, you know, being able to add or being able to upgrade just a single service group instead of upgrading the entire CMTS. These are, these are things that from my perspective are really exciting as anyone who's done maintenance windows before knows how painful that can be. Uh, especially if you have to do it multiple times because there's there's issues. Those are really exciting aspects of virtual C CCAP, the, you know, the topic that we're talking about. What, what are other things that you see as benefits from virtualization? Is, and, I mean, John, you mentioned cost and power savings. Are there other things that, that you're seeing and looking into the future that would benefit the cable operator? Well, you mentioned that the server. I could add the server almost anywhere. I mean, you could have a... a uh, server farm uh, in the middle of the East Coast somewhere serving the entire East Coast. You know, it, we're not limited to a hundred mile doxis, you know, like where it used to be, um, you know, having a CMTS within a hundred miles to the cable modem. You know, we're limited to from the remote five to the cable modem, that's RF. So that's going to be within one to two miles because it's coax. But the digital link from the virtual server uh, to the remote five that could be a thousand kilometers. That could be the entire East Coast. I mean, there's there's quite a you can you can imagine you know the capabilities there. Are you collapsing uh, hub sites, collapsing head ends, maybe, uh, possibly? Right. Yeah, those, are all, those are all good use cases. Um, I would say operationally, I see benefits that are like smaller failure domains, right? I mean, it used to be that your failure domain used to be a particular size with the CMTS and, and, and um, depending on how you virtualize it and, and using uh, containers, uh, you could definitely have smaller failure domains. I mentioned the, the upgrade uh, window and, and the time associated with that, but when there is a failure, um, it, it's obviously uh, contained. It, it's much smaller, number one. Number two, I would say there is an opportunity around orchestration, right? So it's about lighting up services. And if you think about remote FI, you're going to have lots of nodes out in the field, right? There's going to be an increase in scale of those remote FI nodes out there. How quickly can you turn them on? How quickly, uh, how great can you orchestrate uh, these things operationally? Um, those are all benefits of, of virtualization as, as, as well. Um, and there's economies of scale. Virtualization in many ways isn't new. I mean, it's new to the cable industry or to CMTS, CCAP land, but um, at the end of the day, there's tons of tools out there that are leveraged in so many other industries that are, that are performing so well. Um, and we can leverage those benefits. Uh, we don't have to make a cable-specific solution uh, to, to relish from those, those great benefits. Um, 
Um, John mentioned open source. Yeah, there's stuff out there that that has been vetted out and been, is being used in the industry. And and we as an industry should make the most use of that, right? It's for the benefit of the industry. And I mean, we can debate the different method of how to virtualize, whether you use virtual machines or you don't, um, and whether you use containers or Docker's or or you don't, or you do things with cloud native or I mean, those are all kind of nuances and there are trade-offs around that. Um, but the, the premise, the idea of virtualization and, and taking something that was very, very tied to a hardware platform that needed to be replaced debatably, uh, either through line cards or chassis every three to five years, uh, now, you know, has a huge long lifespan and, and you can, uh, leverage, uh, let's say your CPUs aren't powerful enough. You can add a uh, uh, new generation uh, servers to, uh, let's say a cluster of servers. So they don't become obsolete or uh, maybe you have a new location which can use the uh, less power, um, need less uh, performance and they can move those servers away. So they're, they're gonna be, there's gonna be a long lifespan associated with that. Um, there's also sparing uh, benefits associated with that when you think about um, eventually maybe hardware failures on the servers, having sparing associated with, with any off the shelf server that you could put out there and, and run this on. So. Um, I, I think operationally, it's going to be a huge, huge gain in terms of uh, service uptime, service uh, churn on time, um, which, um, you know, what did you say? A 1 a.m. to 6 a.m. Uh, maintenance window? Yeah, you know, typically. So. Yeah, that's, that's normally the best time, <laughs> the, the time that operators give you to, to work on, on the CMTS. Uh, all the, yeah, 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. maybe is more, more common that you work on it. Yeah. I, I said 6 a.m. because things always go bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At 4 a.m. it's still not working. And, and so you end up working on it till 6 a.m. And then people are saying, okay, people need their ATMs back online or you know, cash machines and phones. And yeah, pressure really starts building on you then. So that's why I said I love that concept that we could just work on one service group, you know, that that node that there's only a few rural people, you know, just a few people on it and make sure everything's working there. And then we'd push it out to the rest of it. That's a very exciting thing. However, on the flip side of it, if I'm a cable operator and I feel really, really confident in my hardware based CMTS where I know everything's running on FPGAs and ASICs and, and things that work really well. And I look over at my Windows PC that's sitting there with a blue screen of death on it. And you tell me, OK, we're going to take out that hardware based <laughs> CMTS and we're going to put an Intel PC or <laughs> something running with a CMTS. I'm probably going to be a little bit nervous. So this probably has to be something that is has been a discussion that's gone on. How, how are operators looking at virtual CMTSs and saying, well, am I going to get the same reliability? Am I get, you know, how, does, how does software work compared to hardware? Hardware has been working really well for me. So what's the, you know, how do we look at it from that standpoint? Yeah, we're not using Windows as our operating system. <laughs> <laughs> not, not Windows embedded? <laughs> yes. Not well. Bill Gates just stopped using his Windows Phone, right? Um, and moved <laughs> to an Android phone. He didn't quite move all the way to an iPhone, but when Bill Gates stops using a uh, uh, Windows, um, that's saying something. Embedded, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I do remember Spectrum Analyzers going from uh, some embedded OS, and then all of a sudden getting a blue screen of death. I think that was in the early 2000s, where folks were trying to run 
Um, Windows NT is the embedded operating system for some spectrum analyzer. And, and I got a blue screen of death while connecting some stuff. Um, lesson learned, we're not using Windows. Um, so first of all, is it a concern? It doesn't come up as often as you'd like, but of course it is. I mean, stability and reliability of software is a big deal. Um, there's, there's no question about it. And if you have software, you have bugs. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves. Um, by the way, when you have hardware, uh, generally speaking, hopefully if you're using silicon, you have an ASIC, it's bug free. It's gone through verification and, but there might be a few spins along the way to get that pristine production silicon. Um, but folks who are using FPGAs and DSPs, uh, there are certainly bugs that come up on those and, and those take time to fix. And the, and the I would say the, um, the penalty of getting it wrong in those products uh, in an FPGA, DSP, or, or silicon solution uh, is quite, first of all, it's expensive, but it's a lot of time, right, When you if you have those types of issues. In software, the benefit is you will have issues, but you'll solve them quickly, number one. Number two, if you've implemented high availability correctly, and, and you certainly can, um, then when you have a fault occur, uh, whether it's a logic fault or a process fault or whatever software fault you can imagine, you could catch that, capture that, detect it, uh, fail over and keep services running. Um, Harmonic has proven that out. We've done that. And, and certainly there are bugs. The question is, can you catch them um, and maintain services uh, in, in a, uh, with no service disruption? And, and the claim is, yes, you can do that. Um, and it might be just one process that goes down. So you're not failing over from completely from one server to another, like from a CMTS to another CMTS. You might be just failing over maybe one process from one server to another. For example, plus or something. Yeah, and, and you talk about fail, a process failing and catching it and moving that. There's also the opportunity when you upgrade something, when, when you do find that bug, it's a logic bug. Maybe you change your code in, in, um, in a single package in a single container and you do that uh, without even modifying any of the other software. I mean, the opportunities are, are quite varied in your ability to, to be responsive uh, in a software-based approach where if you had an FPGA down, you'd probably have to uh, upgrade the whole CMTS. You'd have to put the FPGA embedded in some ISO image and then download it and then and bring the whole um, you know, bring the whole image down to all the different uh, line cards on that CMTS. Good. So I think that that sort of addresses a, a lot of the concerns there. Um, and I think to your point, uh, you know, I've spent a lot of years working with Doxis and we've seen a lot of bugs that are, that are in CMTSs and cable modems. And to your point, it does normally take a long time to fix a bug that's in hardware. Whereas if it's in software, ideally we'd be able to fix those much quicker and, and hopefully it impacts much smaller service groups to your point. So I, I, maybe it's, it will be even uh, more beneficial once we're virtualized. Yeah, and I think you know, another nuance to that is when you do have some uh, fix to an F, let's say an FPGA has an issue and you have that fix and, and uh, it took you a long time to get there, you, you basically have this one version of FPGA and you push it down and you're hopeful that it works out in the field. With a software-based uh, approach, you can fix that bug, let's say much quicker, and you can then isolate that deployment of that fix to a single service group. And then you can check it out without impacting everybody else running. 
And then if it proves out correctly, then you can expand that deployment um, um, or recorrect the fix, but at least you isolated. That's why, you know, basically your, your, your failure domain or your, your blast radius is a lot smaller. Um, and um, that's, there's a huge operational benefit uh, to cable uh, with that methodology. So where do you guys see that we are in the life cycle of virtual CCAP? Well, we're just starting, I guess, right? I mean, I mean, factually, uh, uh, we have a few deployments, so, um, I, you know, I could speak to it that it's real and it's, you know, it's, we have uh, live deployments in, in uh, North America and in Europe, um, and it's going well. It's going well, but, you know, we're, there are a lot of lessons to be learned. Um, I'm sure we'll continue learning them. Uh, there's uh, performances, uh, performance to gain year over year. And as we learn how operations, um, some new operational benefits year over year that allows us to do things uh, quicker, faster, uh, those are all things that will come above and beyond the initial deployment cycle of being able to replace existing services on CMTSs that are harbor-based. Um, so. We're definitely early on. I see a lot of growth in 2018 around this, um, not only with, with virtualization, but also with remote FI. In, in many ways, uh, distributed architectures and, and virtualization, while one isn't dependent on the other, um, you could do a virtualized deployment with a centralized, um, with the centralized architecture. I, I, I am a big fan of DAA and, and uh, remote FI in particular, and see that the two things are going to, uh, get to, to some sort of uh, inflection point in terms of deployment in 2018, uh, uh, you know, across the cable industry. Um, so the future is bright. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, we can always step back and say, well, why don't we just do fiber to the home? That always comes up. You know, <laughs> remote, remote fi getting deeper and deeper. That, and I, I said it before, it's not the last mile anymore. It's the last 100 feet. So even do a remote fi to a tap where the drop cable is still there, that's still more economical than trying to run fiber to everybody's home. It still comes down to money. If money wasn't the object here, then we would just run fiber right to your eyeball and we, we'd be done with it, you know. Um, but there's still cost associated with all this and then also ripping out the existing HFC plant. So we're pretty much embedded in uh, from the last 50 years or so or more, 60, 70 years. Uh, with coax in the U.S., maybe not in other countries. Um, so remote fi is a, is a big one, getting to that, uh, getting a digital optical link, get rid of the analog optical link, um, taking our amplifier cascades down to none, uh, getting the coax as short as possible. We get rid of the coax, we don't have the tilt problems, we don't have the attenuation issues. We could start doing maybe FDX, the full duplex doxis, where we can run the upstream and downstream really at the same frequencies. Uh, we can offer 10 gig speed up and down. <laughs> you know, that gets us really high speeds. Um, I like the idea of, or what you brought up about orchestration. Because some of the things we, we overlook, like, how am I going to operationalize this? If I have all these nodes out in the field, how do I keep track of them? How do I set them up? How do I configure them? Um, I don't want to be running, running iOS in a node. So that's sort of why... I never saw the Mac Fi happening in the node. It just keep it simple and just do the Fi, uh, remote Fi in the node. Um, but orchestration is a big one. Is And what I've seen us looking at Cisco was maybe like a smartphone with an app on it where you would scan a barcode or a QR. 
uh, and then as the technician scans it and deploys it in the field, it actually tags a lat long on there, you know, uh, uh, TIS or, you know, latitude, longitude. So it actually knows and it uploads it to a, some type of mapping software. And then it's, it's all part of SDN and this orchestration. Yeah, those, those are great, great points. I mean, we want to make this as operationally familiar initially. Um, cable operations, you know, has a method to it in terms of deployment of nodes and deployment of CMTSs. So, I mean, you're still going to have, um, you know, you, the field tech that's going to go out there and deploy the node, scanning a QR code is simple enough. And, and that's something that actually we did at the last SCTE. We, we were scanning uh, QR codes at, at, at our booth. Um, making it operationally simple. And then, um, all right, we're going for a walk, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone should be seeing your face, not mine. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, but I see you going for a walk, so I love it. Um, You're listening to the audio only. Uh, John, and I think, is going for a beer now on uh, Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm done with my competition, so now I'm going off the deep end. <laughs> I, I love him in the rocking chair, too, by the way. When, when John gets in the zone, he starts rocking back and forth even more. <laughs> Great. Um, but, but so that's on one side, which is on the note side. you got to make it simple, easy, and scalable on deploying those remote fine nodes. The, the second piece operationally is while you can start using all kinds of cool uh, orchestration and virtualization tools, uh, you also have to have CLI, SNMP, IPDR, all the things that make it familiar and, and that plug into an existing network. And, and that, that, goes, um, that goes without saying. Um, and the, the, the benefit going forward, of course, is that you can make that more seamless, uh, operationally easier, and, and again, uh, scale of deployment, ease of operations and monitoring. Um, those are all uh, great benefits that come out with, uh, with the virtualization approach. Okay. Any, anything else you guys want to cover on virtualization? I've got one, um, one Q and a question that I, I want to cover before, uh, as we wrap up here. So anything else on virtualization covered up? I will say, yeah. go ahead. Come in, here, come in here, our talks, uh, you know, come in here, uh, John's talk on, uh, what was it Wednesday in mind? I'm sure we're going to cover a lot of things that are related to that. So, yeah, I think I think two hot topics that we're going to see a lot at uh, if and if uh, you guys are going to Expo, the, our listeners are going to Expo. You're probably going to see remote fi, and you're probably going to see some virtualization um, at uh, Cable Tech Expo this year. So, a check those demos out that are going on. So. I have a backlog of questions that have been going on. I just want to cover one of them, and I think you two will feel comfortable covering this topic. Um, it's on Doxus 3.1. Uh, so one of our listeners has written in. He says, I recently took my Doxus 3.1 certification through SDE. So congratulations for uh, taking your, your certification. I have been posting info in a channel I created on Yammer for our company at a major MSO. Uh, one poster asked why OFDM reads 4 to 8 dB gains better than SCT, SC QAM. Uh, just a field tech. Um, so first of all, I, I want to tell this poster, um, you're a field tech. Um, don't say you're just a field tech. You are the backbone of the cable industry. And so, you know, congratulations for being a field tech and keep up the good work. Uh, so this He's a field tech, and he's taken huge interest in knowing more about the ins and outs of DOCSIS 3.1 and 
Can anyone give him a more definitive answer on why OFDM performs better than SC Quam? So I'd like to throw this out. Why it performs better or it is reading better MER? Is it was there? So it's, uh, it's, so they ask why OFDM reads four to eight dB gains that better than SC Quam. So I'm suspecting that uh, in their system, it's um, four to eight dB gains than SC Quam. So I, I, I'm, ge- I'm guessing it's MER that they're seeing better yeah. performance. You know, let me address that. Uh, what I've seen lately on our own was some modems, I believe, are incorrectly reporting the MER of the pilots. So those pilots are 6 dB higher than the rest of the OFTM channel. Right. Uh, what, what's supposed to happen is we do get the MER of the pilots, the scattered pilots and XDB to give you the equivalent of where the subcarriers really are, you know, the active subcarriers. So I've seen some modems report MER like 50 uh, downstream MER, another one's 44. I'm like, I think the 44 is actually correct. And then I would use my $100,000 Rodian Swartz test equipment. <laughs> <laughs> and it would give me the MER of the pilots and the subcarriers, so basically, you know, minus 6 dB. And I think that might be what's happening is it's giving uh, the MER of the actual sub, the pilots. Because we all know the pilots are just doing BPSK, 6 dB higher than the rest of the OFDM channel or the subcarriers. Right. This is out of my field of expertise for sure, but if if we're comparing the same uh, order modulation between a SEQAM and OFDM, and I'm assuming they uh, they are. Isn't isn't the forward correction with OFDM with LDPC going to give you some some gain? Uh, I think I remember three dB. Um, but again, it's outside my area of expertise. But I definitely thought that there was some benefit to that in terms of uh, improving your MER. CSOF, I, I was actually thinking more along your lines that this was a, my answer would have been that your performance is going to be better due to the LDPC or low density parity check. And so we're actually getting better performance with OFDM in the same environment that an SC QAM is. And that performance is better because we've changed error correction. So with SEQAM, we have the Reed-Solomon error correction, which is kind of an okay error correction. It's the one we've been living with, with DOCSIS 1.0, 1.1, 2.0, and 3.0. And then in DOCSIS 3.1, where we have OFDM signals, we add this really, really awesomely robust error correction called LDPC that just kicks butt. And it gets us almost what we call you know, near Shannon theorem, where it's almost as theoretically good as we can possibly get. So I, that, that was kind of the way I was thinking. I hadn't considered what John mentioned, where we're looking at the, the uh, pilots that are 60 B higher and running in QPSK. So, so let's look at it this way. Actually, it's, it's BPSK. The pilots yeah, are BPSK. BPSK. Yeah. So let's look at it this way. Do LDPC and forward error correction make it more robust, which allows it to work in a lower MER, or does it actually make the MER better? Now, the MER is a physical layer, but it's after the chipset decodes it. So are we mixing up CNR with MER? 
Like, where is that reading coming from? Is it before some of this stuff is decoded? Well, technically, MER should be after it's decoded, right? From the chipset. Right. Yeah. So, what my, and it, it's funny, it's like, now we look at this deeper, even though we're supposed to be the experts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really felt that the MER would be the same readings no matter what the modulation is. It's just the fact that this LDPC and how the FET works, it actually performs better at a lower MER. But the recording, the recording is still the same. It basically gives you headroom is what you're saying. And, and basically the MER is what it is, regardless yes. of anything. And, and uh, the LDPC just gives you the headroom to operate at a lower MER at a higher modulation rate. Exactly. Because if you look at the tables in the DOCSIS 3.1 spec, it'll show uh, 4K QAM meeting, I think, like 41 dB MER or something like that. And we know it's like 6 dB conservative because I've seen 4K QAM. <laughs> yeah, it worked at 35. And I was like, wow, it works. It's more robust than I thought it was. That's unheard of. So... I really do feel like the MER is what it is, regardless of modulation running. Uh, and you really probably should have the same reading between silver qualm and OFDM because it's still the same amplitude to noise floor. Um, and I think maybe some of the readings the gentleman is referring to could be uh, incorrectly being reported from the cable modem because it's looking at that, the pilot tones that are 60 running 60 be hotter. Okay. In my opinion. In my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> we have to retitle this Stump the Chumps. <laughs> so. All right. Well, that was a good question. And also a, uh, a good, uh, good coverage, coverage of uh, virtual CCAP. So, Asaf, thank you for joining us today. And we certainly hope to have you back on a future show. And John... Thank you again for joining us. I will look forward to uh, seeing both of you guys at Cable Tech Expo. Hopefully we can get together and uh, meet up and uh, chat a little bit, maybe have a beer or something like that and talk some more about DOCSIS and all things RF. So, all right. Gentlemen, thanks. thanks. It was a good show. We'll Thank meet you. again. All right. Adios. Take care, everyone. Thank you.